welcome to our bonus episode of Forward, where we are walking through Mackenzie Chow with Leslie Bell, who has done extensive research into the building and the artwork created by the late artist Michael Snow, specifically for this space in 1972 and 1973. So we're starting our tour here in the upper level of Pond Inlet. And when I look above me, I can see a gorgeous huge window and a mirror on the other side. And when I look straight out from the mezzanine level, there's a beautiful view of a somewhat chilly, since we are recording in March, a somewhat chilly, um, but very beautiful pond. So Leslie, what do you, what can you tell us about this space and what the architect, sorry, Ray Raymond Moriyama. Raymond Moriyama. What can you tell us about the space and what Moriyama was trying to do here and what Michael Snow did in this space? Um, if, if this is a, a collaborative space, it, this was the beginning space, like the initial space for Michael Snow's composition, as he called it. The composition began right here at this frame. This is timed images. It's timed images, frame one of timed images, and it was it was embedded in the wall of of more, this space designed by Moriyama. Now the mirrors, angled as they are, kind of these these pyramids that we have at Mackenzie Town, and maybe you're underneath one of the pyramids here and it brings in light from above and then it reflects that light back down into the space through a, one of the triangular arrangement of mirrors that kind of bring that natural light right back down into you here. When I was a student and this was a student lounge there were these beautiful red rug banquettes like it was red rug on the floor went up all over the banquettes and then you had a mirror wall behind you it was like really 60s it was just lovely 60 you know it had that sort of shag rug feel but because of the rugs it was like really this beautiful muted sound and you could just kind of put your back against those banquettes and just look at the reflected light you could see the pond waterfall and the green out there kind of reflected to you. It was a wonderful, a wonderful space just to sort of to relax and, and do your work. And we can see that now today mm. looking up. Now, the, now we are recording in March so the waterfall's not turned on but you can certainly see um, the pond being reflected back up to us and when we've got our back to the window and, and looking up into that mirror. And you know there's one thing that that, that it brought to my attention too that this is an, in an institution like this, and it changes over time. Space takes on a different um, a value over time. And maybe in this time, at, at, at its construction, we had a lot more space mm. and a lot more access to the outside, we'll say, the visually outside. But space is a commodity. And uh, where this was an academic building, very quickly you need room for teachers, more room or accommodation for teaching staff, for faculty, for meeting rooms, and all that stuff. And so suddenly the space becomes chopped up and changed. And so actually, you know, physical appearance of a space can change just because of that, that sort of a changed the, value. And know, the changing needs of the institution yeah. and the people using the space. So, so as we're standing here, um, so Pond Inlet today is, it's used for conferences, it's used for events, but it was originally a cafeteria. I yeah, understand. on the main level. On the main level, and then up here, as you said, was the lounge space. And we've got this beautiful wall of windows, which is something that we're going to see throughout Mackenzie Chown, actually, because this is part of Moriyama's um, aesthetic that he's going for about blurring the inside with the outside. And his use of mirrors. 
because mirrors also reflect and windows reflect. And it was one, so one of Snow's early ideas that he didn't use was working with reflecting in those windows, in some of these windows, um, daytime and nighttime, because at nighttime you actually see yourself as you're looking in, as if you're looking in a mirror. If you, mm -hmm. you know, on a night, some night windows, you look, you can see yourself reflected as if you're looking in a mirror, and then your image disappears during the day. And so he had some early ideas around working with windows as well. But in the end, he just chose, um, and maybe through their mutual discussion, their collaboration, he was going to work, first of all, with this, this, this wall behind us that was all clad in mirror, except for where the banquettes came up to about you know, waist height. And so as the first piece of Snow's timed images, it's not here anymore, but can you tell us what we would have seen? Because there was a frame, and he works with this idea of frames and mirrors in all the different pieces we're going to talk about. So we're facing the back wall of the mezzanine level, and what would we have seen? You would have seen a large rectangular shape exposed on the mirror. Like, and the, the shape was really exposed wall, like the mirror had been cut away and exposed the wall beneath, the brick wall, the concrete brick wall beneath, that had been painted black. So you have like, the idea of a black frame surrounded by silver, and in the middle, silver too, that silvery... So it was just the box outline of yes. the rectangle. Yeah, and so you could stand, it was at this level, you could stand and look at yourself, see yourself in the mirror, that was the center of this frame, but framed by the black wall. So you become a picture, you become an image. So, and I've got to be honest, as a student, I sat in the chairs here and I don't remember, I don't remember seeing that frame here. I just, I never noticed it. It's so, it's so fixed you know, into the space, I don't remember seeing it. Well, I have a feeling some of the pieces that we are going to look at a little bit later are ones that people haven't seen because we walk by them all the time. All right, so this is the first, the first frame. Did, now, did this have a particular name? It was just frame one. Frame one. And I mean, he said that all the, all that the, this dispersed composition, which is what it, it really is called in his language, he said they could be seen individually, but I think that they, they, they accumulate and build seen in, in a sequence. So we'll, we're starting with frame one. And it was this, this is empty negative space. We'll call it a negative, negative space shape. A <laughs> negative space shape. All right, so let's move on then to frame two. Mm -hmm. We're now at frame two. We're in the 300 level hallway of D Block. We've got some beautiful uh, rock displays from uh, the Department of Earth Sciences. But we also have in front of us this big mirror frame. It's a mirror frame and it looks like, it looks like a piece of the mirror wall was lifted right out of Pond Inlet behind us and moved down the hallway and just stuck on the hall here. So you've got the same rectangular frame shape but made this time of like bands of mirror but framing nothing just the empty wall just the ball behind it but across the hall from this there's, there's a, a little, little box a little black box. built into the wall a little black box built in the wall and it's put your hand inside it and you can feel that there's something a metal mount of some kind that was there but what used to be in this box was a, was a 35 millimeter camera that snow left he used it to document in his words, document, take pictures with it. And then he left the camera here as an, almost an artifact 
of the event. And literally part of the building because this is this yeah. is built into the wall. Yeah. So this was like the camera maybe that that was facing into, directly in the center of this frame across from us. And then he planned around the opening day of the building, um, he invited five people from the Brock community. He wanted Brock faculty. President Gibson was, was one of the members of it and some students. And they all walked back and forth as Michael Snow stood where this camera was. They walked back and forth in front of it and he snapped many, many pictures. I've found like, like contact sheets of many, many pictures that he took. So finally, he, but he selected one, these five or six people walking in front. He saved one of those photographs and had it enlarged. And it became the, the centerpiece of frame number three, which is further down the hall behind us. And as our listeners can no doubt hear in the background, this is a high traffic hallway. This is the main hallway through Mackenzie Town and people constantly coming and going. So that frame and even even without the camera there, that frame is constantly changing what it sees and what it reflects back as people walk through. Because maybe we're, we're trained in a way to think, you know, you frame something, you portray it in a way, you know, you make it, you can make it, it, and you make it art even, yeah. you know, something within a frame, something suddenly has, is separated from everything else. It has an identity of its own. And so framing became his He's an artist, he was a, he was a filmmaker. So the frame is everything in film, you know, they get framed by the camera. Um, so he's speaking about media that way. So let's go see frame three. Excellent. So we're just pausing here in Debock where we're moving. We've got a lovely, beautiful orange and purple and green wall. We've got lots of students coming and going as they come out of uh, come out of class, and we've got a solid wall on. Well, as we're headed towards Schmann Tower, it's on our left. But you were telling me earlier that this solid wall wasn't wasn't there originally in Moriam's building. No, not at all. It it, it was used. It, it became infill. I'll call it infill architecture. It was built almost like to the side of the Moriyama building on the outside with it, and it covered in all the, the floor-to-ceiling walls that we used to have here that were kind of, you can see further along, hasn't been filled in, but, but here you used to be able to look out on the, on the pedestrian mall between here and Cairns, but now it's all blocked in with academic and, offices. And then presumably if you can look out, you can also look in, so you would be able to look into the building from the outside as well. And I always kind of wondered about the color scheme, but you were telling me as well that the painting here, the, these these stripes and chevrons, and that is all part of the original design. And so I was in touch with James Sutherland, who's the, the designer of these. And he's a public artist in Toronto. He's done one of the designs for one of the subways, I think Spadina in Toronto. He's, so he does that kind of work, but he was invited early on by Moriana's firm as well to work with Michael Snow <coughs> at the same time as Michael Snow. And he was doing the stripes and the chevrons, as he said. And uh, because I was in touch with him and I knew that the facilities management here was interested in restoring them, I got in touch with him and he was able to provide them again with his original diagrams and, and the, the Pantone color scheme for it too. So, so they these match. are what they were originally. They look beautiful. <laughs> I know. And every time I go by and I see something stuck to them, I go, no. You know, you know I used to pull all these little signs off saying, no, no, don't. You know, but but yes, but it, the idea was, and you can still see it on in Slock. Yeah. If you go across the way and you stand in 
we'll say it's a plaza building at night you can look across and you can see these graphics are, are carried for carried across for, the floors uh, yeah up into the fourth level okay like it's a complete a complete picture it's really a beautiful sight at night you know to see that but you miss that now here because you can't see through the windows you can't see back into the building now it's been blocked so again what you were saying earlier how we use the space and what we need from the space and the changes that happen to any space over time also affects what the architect was trying to do and what artists were originally trying to do in this space. And I mean, in terms of archaeology, when I look at the, an early photograph of frame two, it, which, you know, back in that outside geology, reflected in that mirror frame, you can see open, open space. You can see windows. You can see a bit of the pond. Because initially, that whole corridor up there was open to pond as well. Okay. And so it would have been flooded with natural light and... And, you know, and that blurring of the outside and the inside that Mariana yeah, liked to yeah. do. Yeah, and so that's that 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 was all that was all just around the corner from us as well. So there was a lot of light or outdoors coming in from various means as we would walk through these halls in the, in the early days. I think. Okay, so let's keep heading on to our next frame. All right, so we're a little bit further down the hall. We're now into C Block at Geography and Tourism is off to the side. And I'm not seeing any art. I'm not seeing any frames, Leslie. <laughs> what would we be looking at in 1972? Now you look at the, the doorways for faculty offices, but there was a wall, there actually was a wall here. And <laughs> this is where you get into the archeology. span If you stand beside that wayfinding C, you know, that says you're in C Block, this is one of the original graphics that was part of the building. So yeah. the map that is painted on the wall was part of the plan. Right. Beside it, off to the right, you see some smoother looking brick. And it was a, it was a film study student that took me on a, one of the snow walks once, and she showed me this. She had us feeling the wall. Anyway, this is where the video camera lived. And it faced outwards, and, uh, and the workings were inside. Of so the room. similar to what we just saw in D Block for the still camera, where it's kind of built into the wall. Yep, this was a proper frame with a with a video camera faced outward into the corridor, across again spanning across the corridor where people were passing in between, and it was it was this camera faced onto another frame, a silver mirrored frame, that held. In, within the middle of it, the enlarged photograph of all the walking people. So the photograph that he took in D Block was inside a mirror frame where we now see uh, the doorway to C312. And so this video camera would be doing a, a constant capture, we'll say, constant capture of not only that stationary photograph across the hall, but also the people walking by in the middle. I don't think it was on 24-7 or anything like that. I think whoever went into this space um, at the time would just maybe flip a switch in the morning mm. um, you know, and turn it on. So it was capturing you know, stuff that was happening here in the hallways, maybe a crowd of students going by, maybe just a few. But taking that live feed to a monitor that was down the hall, further around the hall. We have a still photograph, but the photograph is part of an ever-changing scene as people walk past it. Yeah. And he called this, he invited people to be not only spectators, but also participants. And so this is a way, like, it was like a, a place, not a play space, but yeah, a play space in terms of plays, you know, like a play, a, a action, you know. Turning kind of like the everyday people walking back and forth into a movie. He called it fitting into the casual life of the university.
that's what he wanted to do. So, so then you could have your friends set up where the video was and take turns walking past. Then you begin to see what he's doing. He's starting to layer time on time. Okay. He's, he's layering present time on past time. It may be a constant move, constantly changing present time on a fixed past time. You know, he's kind of got the two of them sandwiched right on top of each other. And then you've got all this stuff happening in the middle, too, you know, um, this, almost like the snapshot or the fleeting part, you know. So it's, a, it's about time, for sure. Now, it's through space, you know, really. And we're, we're walking from station to station here and accumulating a bit a greater understanding of time each time we with each frame, so to speak, that we're coming and, to. And I'm also thinking about how we're experiencing the hallway, because we do have people going by, but I have a tendency in my mind to think of this hallway as fairly straight for some reason, but it's not. There's this constant zigzagging back, and you can kind of see around the corners, but you can't see all the way around the corners, so you don't kind of know who you're going to bump into or what's kind of going to be there when... Well, you know, <laughs> I also heard that urban legend, yeah. that Brock legend, about crowd control. But that was not Mackenzie Chown. No. That was Thistle. Okay. Thistle was about um, keeping people moving in straight corridors, not able to congregate anywhere, just keep them moving straight. And that was, but it was, it was a, I'll call it a natural reaction to the politics at the time, because students were rebelling across the world in 1968. Just when they were starting to build Brock and build Thistle, they decided to keep all the corridors straight. Moriyama, in 1972, he's trying to create, as you mentioned in our, in our interview, he's trying to possibly create kind of these happy accidents of bumping into people or coming out in unexpected ways or having to talk to somebody because you have no idea where you're going. Well, you know, look here, we've got a pod, but little pods all along the way. You know, we, this, is a, this is a department. They've got their own little world in there, like a little village. And this is like a, 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 you know, laneways or streets on the way to, from village to village, so to speak. That's a really interesting way yeah. of thinking about that. Well, I didn't know that architects call corridors streets. Because I was getting pretty excited, because I thought, oh, they're talking about street changes. And stuff. You know, when I was reading Moriyama's records, I thought, oh, this stuff about a street, that's kind of... But I didn't know that's a common terminology that architects have for corridors. But then, if I was snow, I would have thought, oh, that's kind of interesting, too. You know, you have the idea of a street, you have passers-by, you have um, people coming and going and congregating in that, too. So it, it, he, he was capturing that activity of the street. And I'm also just thinking, as we're watching people walk, walk past us, that in a way Snow didn't give you a choice about participating in his art because just by walking down the corridor, you're, whether you're aware of it or not, you're automatically drawn into being a part of that artwork. Yeah, even if you don't know. That's yeah. <laughs> true. But just like a mirror, just like a mirror, which your image only exists as long as you're standing in front of a mirror, with that close capture idea, you know, you're, you're come and gone too. Like there was no recording done. It was. In, in terms of saving, it was simply just capturing and releasing almost. Yeah. So again, playing with that time and that time and frame. <laughs> All right, so now we're kind of at the other end of C Block, just the other side of the, of the map library, just about ready to head into the C Bridge. Um, and you were just telling me these wonderful bright green stripes on the wall. The stripes used to, used to be all part of this hallway as well, but I'm going to bring your attention to um, the, another wall, piece of wall where the bricks have been changed. All right, I'm seeing it. We've got um, portals, choices, 
artwork on the right. Yeah. So like, you can see here the slightly different changes in texture and they had to touch it up with a green that doesn't match the original green. So it's kind of like here and here. I don't know, it was a monitor so that would be like a TV, okay. say a television. But it also had a frame too. And um, I, I, don't, I don't know if it was mirrored or not. It's really hard, the original photo, it could be mirrored, but I, I've been told that it was a black frame too. So it didn't reflect anything. But I'm not sure, I can't tell from the photo and nobody else remembers. So this was playing the image just from around the corner. Yes. <laughs> and so people could congregate here and watch their friends coming from around the corner. In fact, it was, we were showing this to uh, President Fearon one day and he said, oh no, he said, stand over here. I could see them in front of the camera there and see them on the monitor here. And so yeah, you could have a simultaneous view, if you know what I mean. So you had the simultaneity going too. But then again, it could be just one of those things in the hallway that comes and goes and, and you don't realize. But I, would, I, find, I think myself, I'd be standing here watching a lot. There was, the original idea was to have a little piece of mirror, another mirror here, just a square, almost the size of this poster. So just beside room 330. But that, that, that got edited at the end and that mirror is now hanging in Geography's Lounge. <laughs> so, but I'm thinking it would have been really interesting to see what it's like to watch somebody in your monitor, you know, and have... Have a reflection of it. Or but, but, the, but then you're also in the photo. Yeah. It, like or you're in that reflection. You know that when you're, when you're at the hairdressers and they cut your hair and then they hold up a mirror for you to see the back of your head and you realize you can see yourself reflected several times yeah. deeply into the mirror and I'm wondering whether you got that effect too. I'm wondering whether there was a mirrored frame around that monitor which means you got a mirror reflecting a mirror right. and people in the middle. <laughs> so I mean I don't know how complex it got. Well, if any alumni are listening to this and have memories, please get in touch because we want to know more. All right, so we're going to keep in the main corridor here, which veers slightly to the left, and we're going to move into a bright, beautiful space that is the Seawalk Bridge. Yeah, like the other bridge would have been just like this. So we have got kind of floor-to-ceiling windows, but we've also got mirrors on the end. And that was the same as the other as well. So you get, this, was, this is the other bridge, right? So that was the way they were. Yeah. Oh, it's very it's bright, bright in here. Really um, so again, we've got that plane of the, of the inside and the outside. And we've got a different color scheme and we've got circles. Um, these are original as well, the no, painting murals. And he's restored them as well. Wow, they're beautiful. And did you have like the notes and the colors for these ones as well? Yeah, it was all part of the suite. And when I got in touch with James Sutherland, he said, oh yeah, he said, Michael was working on his stuff, I was doing mine. You know, like, there was a lot of activity going on in that last yeah. summer, you know, before the building opened in the fall of 72. So, yeah. Excellent. All right. Next frame. Okay, so we are now just inside B Block, and this is so tiny that you would probably miss it if you weren't really looking for it. Um, right next to the ladies' bathroom, um, across the hall from B314. And what are we looking at, Leslie? This is, this is the uh, Michael Snow's self-portrait. I call it his signature. Because, but from our frame one position, you and I standing in front of that 
what have been a mirrored wall in, in the pond. He also stood in front of there and photographed himself. But the picture has been reproduced in, in a negative. So what would have been the black exposed brick is now white, showing up white. And even he, you can look in the little figure of, of Michael Snow himself, he's, he's all in reverse. Those black rectangles behind him would have been the windows looking out into Pond Inlet. It makes sense now, because I could never kind of figure out where that picture was taken or how it, how it was taken, but knowing it's reversed, that makes sense. And then it's in its own kind of black frame too. Yeah. But, um, so this has always been mounted here. And I mean, they're really mounted. I hope it never comes off. <laughs> it looks pretty secure. <laughs> but, but I, I've always been interested in this. I managed to find it in, in the AGO, his original photographs for this. They're all there. And so he took many photos before he finally got a kind of a pose that he liked of himself. This is the old tech. This is film that has negatives and positives, you know. That may be something that's not really understood now as our technology has evolved so much. The idea of... We just put a filter on a photo in an app kind yeah, of thing. Right, you know, because yeah. uh, film having its negative and positive. But I look at this as being almost a loop back to frame one. And in digital world, you know, we have feedback loops. You mm -hmm. know, he was very interested in sound, Snow was as well, being a filmmaker. And that's one thing this installation doesn't have is sound. And for a musician, that's kind of interesting. There's no sound in it, but I think this is a feedback to frame one. But it's also his, his own portrait. And it's interesting how small he is. Um, and I don't know if that's just the scale or if he's deliberately done that, but he's a very small figure in that picture. He's standing back far enough yeah. away, probably where we were standing or overlooking far enough away just to get himself there. Um, he took a number of pictures, and this is the one he chose. Yeah. Excellent. All right, so we seem to have timed things during class change, um, but we've got some more space to look at. Just, All right. just two more. Oh, we got this. Right around the corner. All right, yes, I almost forgot about this piece. So we are right outside of psychology, right outside of B313, I guess. On our left is um, Indigenous student space and the elevator. And what are we looking at? We're looking at a bunch of rectangles nested inside each other. And I never understood this walking by because it, it always seemed kind of so jarring. We've got the same paint color scheme from, from the previous block, but we've got this weird rectangle motif. And it's really obvious that it's, it's painted in with the original stripes and chevrons yeah. on the wall too. So it had a reason for being here, but I didn't even notice it myself for a while because you can see little drilled holes here. There was a, a, a bulletin board board that oh. almost entirely covered it. All right. Well, we're glad that that's not there so, so that, that we can know, see it. So, so I'm guessing we're looking at frames. That was removed. And I, I took a picture of it one day and then thought, because I had found through research upstairs in the archives, I finally had a, almost like Snow's plans for all the dimensions of these frames. And I thought, okay, I have the outside dimensions of these frames. And I started on the picture just writing down, you know, so, many, so high, so wide so high, so wide, you know, and, and realizing I was looking at all the frames, for frames one to five, these are all the dimensions, right down to the size of one of the photographs that we're going to look at further on the, on the photo essay. That's amazing, so this big That's, outer rectangle that was is the one we would have seen in Pond Inlet. Would have been Pond. And then kind of the next I'm the wide one. Could have been the one in the hallway. They're all kind of nested yeah, inside all of nested. each other, right but down. So this one must have been the one that we just saw with the self-portrait. That was about the right yeah. size. But 
it was just one of those things that I thought, I realized one day, I'm looking at, this is like a, another map for the whole installation. It's as much a map as any of the maps that are painted on the walls here. Because I was, like, I was quite pleased to, to find in, his, in the records that he had completely laid this out and he was very exact and he designed this graphic as well and it was indeed just everything yeah. to do with timed images. No one, even film studies themselves, had really realized that, well, how could they if it's covered up? You know, so yeah. I put it together for them too and we were all really happy. And we're still walking past it and yeah. not even really paying attention to it, but it's still kind of there. Yeah, but also I think, I'm not a filmmaker, but don't they do this sort of framing, um, it's like deep space? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think more, I've seen something like that, you yeah. know, in order to kind of to, to center your shots, so to speak. It's almost mm -hmm. like having a grid screen on yeah. your camera, you know? All right, so we've got another piece to look at. Well, we have, if you look at what we've just seen, timed images is a portrait of the people in this building. I mean, it was designed to be a building for people, for students, for faculty academics and so timed images is really a portrait of them and it's concluded with his own little self-portrait of him <laughs> but he's embedded himself in the architecture too <laughs> that's wonderful <laughs> i thought of you know i thought later that the negativity of it that it puts him a bit apart he's a, he's a he is a part of everything but he's a part of it he's, a, he's away from it too yeah. he's separated himself from he's the maker you know so he's kind of seen himself, shown himself as a negative. I don't know if that's so or not. So here at the corner of B Block, we have another one of these beautiful maps that is painted on, um, and part of that original design. So as we enter into A Block, this is, I think of this as like the big junction yeah. in the university. We've got um, the hallway that goes down towards Tim Hortons. We've got the hallway that goes off into the Goodman School of Business. And we've got this bizarre black line in the floor. And there's not really any art here, but there was art before there was the hallway to Goodman School of Business. Well, if, you know, if you look at timed images as, as the portrait of the people, this became a photo essay, was on this wall. You would have walked towards it, coming in towards A Block here, would have walked right up to it. It was a floor-to-ceiling mural. Like, he, it was actually a wall made of photographs, 1,600 photographs, all taken of the building, of the building of Mackenzie Town, at the conclusion of it, just, you know, the conclusion of the architecture when everything is being wrapped up. He came here one day with his camera, and he took hundreds of photographs of Mackenzie Town, black and white photos. And 1,600 of them he collaged into this massive wall-sized photograph. He called it a simultaneous photograph, which I kind of like, because everything is happening all at once. All those pictures are all clicking off at the same time in a way. So that, it, so that photo piece is now in the stairwell of A Block, and we will move down there to talk about it in more detail. Right now we're looking at a display case. That's where that would have been, and so you would have walked through Mackenzie Chan, you would have walked through the building, and I imagine you, your perception of what was here would have changed as you got closer you to it. You walk right up to it. Yeah. You just walk right up to it. But there's an, I have an anecdote that one prof one day was walking along this hallway on her way to teach a seminar. And she could see the flurry of dust or something up here at the corner. Men on ladders. And they were taking that, they were taking, pulling it apart. They were pulling the big photo essay off the wall because they were about to build the extension over to the tarot building. Which is now Goodman. Yeah. And so she 
went, oh my gosh. And so she ran back, ran to the Dean of Humanities office and said, phone the tower. Tell them to stop. That's a Michael Snow they're tearing down. So they stopped that happening and thought, okay, what do we do now? <laughs> well, the, the size of Pisa is 16 feet by 12 feet. So there's not many places you can move something that large. So they moved it down the hall and it's now in the stairwell, the only large space they could find to hang it. All right. So it changed the whole viewing experience, which we can find when we walk there. You no longer can walk up to it. You have to like see it on, go up and down stairs. Yeah. To walk to look at it. All right. Let's go take a look. All right. So we're now in A block. We're at the top of the stairs, but we're kind of on that little hallway to the side that goes out on the roof. Behind us, we've got another one of those painted maps with black and white chevrons but when we turn around we see this amazing photo mosaic so it's a little bit hard I guess to kind of take it all in now because we don't have that uninterrupted view that we would have originally have had of the piece so you were saying there was 1600 photos yeah, yeah. and and they were done he took these photos with a sort of a program um, and that it mean he had a predetermined idea of what he was going to photograph. So he started with the sky, you know, layers and layers of sky photos. And then you start coming down on the tops of the buildings and then down through the layers of the buildings of, the, of, of this new building, this Mackenzie Town, coming right down to the ground and then going into little details. Now, if we're looking at it right now from across the way, you can sort of see it, it, it's like a film in places. You can see movement, you can see swooping and changing. There's some lovely curiosities going on in there. I look at this, as, this is the portrait of the building, um, and, which is, uh, I thought was a lovely way to conclude. It's not, it's not part of timed images per se, but it was almost like, I don't know what in musical terms what it would be, uh, something at the end, that's a coda yeah. perhaps. Yeah. You come to the end of the hallway, uh, having left the procession of timed image frames, and then come towards A block, and see ahead of you this floor-to-ceiling mosaic. And I'm sure that was one thing people were walking towards and looking at. And I imagine it would have had a very cinematic quality to it because as you're moving towards it, it's going to be changing. What you're seeing in it is going to be kind of changing. And you're, um, it reminds me a little bit of, and I don't know a lot about art history, but it reminds me a little bit of some of that Cubist stuff where they're trying to show multiple perspectives all in the same image. A free mobile perspective the word for it okay but think we also have really fine details in there too you can see that texture and he's got his own self-portrait in there really he photographed himself reflected in glass the glass of the pond inlet he's photographed himself there i'm not gonna let you tell me which one it is because someday when i've got time to spare i want to look in yeah. there and find and find that myself it's down near the bottom where yeah. most artists <laughs> sign their work yeah. <laughs> um, but um, yeah he's but he's there's a lot of play going on there he's looking he, i think he had a lot of delight in taking those photographs mm -hmm. he was looking he, it's, it's a tribute to the building you know it's a tribute to yeah. the architecture really um, and I just, I, I still can't get over how it is very free-moving, mobile perspective, for sure. You think that still images are, in his parlance, they were fixed, you know, fixed and not moving, and yet all placed like this, this composite photograph, it has a lot of movement in it. And I seem to recall you telling me that in your research, you found some documentation of where he stood in different places to get the photographs. He has a whole map. So he drew himself. A, I mean, he, 
really intuitive artist, but highly organized. I mean, when I said I encountered a, a wad of papers in file folders that he kept, all the stuff he kept on th these constructions and his thoughts. I mean, really, there was a lot going on in his mind, you know? Well, I want to thank you for taking the time today to walk through Mackenzie Chan with me and help me see it with new eyes. Um, because I definitely saw it as a very confusing place to navigate <laughs> when I was a student here and when I was TAing and whatnot, trying to find places. You know, a little frustrating when you're late for classes, as I always say, but now that you've explained to me what the architect is trying to do, what, what the art was doing, it gives me a different perspective on it, and it, it makes the building a bit more fun and playful, and I, I can see that now. I hope our listeners have also gotten that out of our tour today, and maybe if you are on campus, plug in this episode and go on a little walk. <laughs> So thank you so much, Leslie. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to Forward. Find our footnotes, links to more information, transcripts, and past episodes on our website, brockuca slash humanities. We love to hear from our listeners, so join us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Brock Humanities. Please subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcasting app so you don't miss an episode. Forward is hosted and produced by Allison Innes for the Faculty of Humanities at Brock University. Sound editing is by Serena Atella, and theme music is by Khaled Amam. This podcast is financially supported by the Faculty of Humanities at Brock University. 